hello everyone welcome back to another fun-filled episode of talking cinema with christoph hankerson of course my name is christoph hankerson and i am the host of this wonderful podcast i hope for those of you that took the time to listen to the premiere episode hope you enjoyed what you heard and if you did go ahead and subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts whether it be itunes spotify anchor pretty much all the big time podcasting platforms you can listen to the podcast you can rate it as well i also have a facebook page if you haven't taken the time to do so you can go ahead and like that i am also in the process of putting together a website so you can be up to date with what's going on with the podcast future episodes as well and thinking about the, getting into the twitter and instagram game so i hope you will take the time to check out that first episode if you haven't if you did thank you so much for listening i value any feedback that you have so feel free to whether it be directly or indirectly message me and we will and i will do what i can to continue to improve the listening experience as i am a new rookie at this so in this week's episode so the pilot episode just a small spoiler for those of you that haven't listened to it, but obviously for those of you that did listen to it, I discuss my top five favorite movies of all time. Now, for this week's episode, as you guys, the listeners, continue to get to know me as your host, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite films from childhood. And I'm actually going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about that because, like, like myself, I'm pretty sure each and every one of you that's listening, there are a movie or movies that really, really help shape your childhood, you know, as cheesy as they may be looking at them now, you know, when you were a kid, you couldn't help but, you know, rewind, you know, The Lion King a hundred times and rewatch it over and over again. Or, you know, it could have been Land Before Time, Jurassic Park, Beauty and the Beast, you know, I'm just naming different movies that were pretty popular in my generation with kids that I grew up with, movies that I also enjoyed as well. But, you know, whatever they may be, it it helped shape your childhood and more than likely it might have even developed a lifelong love of film as well. But regardless of the circumstances, I'm going to get into some personal favorites of mine that I really loved watching that I gave the VCR a good workout with. And in some ways, I still perhaps enjoy these films. So without any further ado, I'm going to be talking about, talk, just talking about a few movies here with the time that we have today. And the first movie that we're going to talk about on today's episode that I really enjoyed growing up is the 1995 Disney film called Tom and Huck. I believe, I personally believe that this is a movie that has slipped under the radars of a lot of kids, not just today's generations of kids. If I go up to them and ask, you know, have you watched this movie? A lot of them will give me blank stares saying, okay, I've never heard of it. For starters, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the story, it is based off of Mark Twain's best-selling novel, Ventures of Tom Sawyer. And it is told from his perspective. A few years earlier, Disney actually made The Adventures of Huck Finn, which is also another very good film that I highly recommend. Elijah Wood, one of the best child actors, not just of his generation, but in my opinion, one of the greatest child actors of all time. Mr. Frodo Baggins himself played Huck Finn in that. And 
also Robbie Coltrane who played Hagrid is in that movie. Highly recommend it. It is on Disney Plus as well. If you don't know what you want to watch, perhaps check that one out. But discussing Tom and Huck, I feel like it's a movie that has been, you know, largely forgotten by a lot of people. And it might have been due to large part that it came out around the same time that Toy Story and Jumanji were both playing in the theaters and more kids were wanting to see those movies because, you know, Robin Williams was in Jumanji and Toy Story, you know, that was the first computer animated film and had a big budget cast as well. So there's that factor. And there's also the factor that it just wasn't really, you know, it didn't really, wasn't as pop, just not really that popular as well, you know, with audiences. So, you know, just a variety of different things. Um, but it's got, I mean, it's got a pretty decent cast in there. You know, for the time, you know, the actors that they chose to, you know, play Tom Sawyer, play Huck Finn, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who at that point in time, he played Simba in Lion King and was Randy Taylor on Home Improvement, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, you know, Tim Allen's son. And then they had Brad Renfro, who was also another fine child actor of his time. Unfortunately, he passed away from a drug overdose about 10 or 12 years ago. Um, he played Huck. And between him and Elijah Wood, you know, they were both great Huck fans. You know, I firmly, I firmly believe that, you know, I've always thought about it this way. Elijah Wood definitely brought out the more playful but rebellious side of Huck Finn. Brad Renfro was just more so, you know, rebellious, you know, and not so much playful. He's a little bit more rebellious, sarcastic, but, you know, he was still, he was still very good in the role still you know brought a lot of magic to that but um but yeah those two were in it uh, eric schwig who was in last of the mohicans um, he played the villain engine joe um you know those are the those are the main cast members um rachel lee cook who was who ended up being in some romantic comedies later on in the era was also in it as uh the judge's daughter becky thatcher um but really it's I don't know. For me personally, growing up, I, I really Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Adventures of Huck Fan are probably two of my all-time favorite books. I know I love film, but I also enjoy reading. I don't do it as much as I should, but um, you know, I enjoy reading. But for all and for all the faults, you know, that Tom and Huck had as far as not having certain elements of you know the book in there they're you know looking at it i'm just like okay you know they could have had this they could have had this and adding certain elements in that were just for entertainment all in all it's still a pretty you know decent movie that holds up in some areas um you know and i would say the main reason why it still remains good viewing in my opinion is because in large part it's due it's due to the villain it's due to engine joe i mean he just flat out chewed up the scenery every single time he was on screen. I mean, from the opening scene where it's muddy and rainy outside to the, the final to the final climax. I mean, he just chewed up the scenery so well. It's I mean, honestly, as good as as good as Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Brad Renfro were, the main reason why this movie 
can't be enjoyed by anybody, in my opinion, is because of Injun Joe. You take him away from the film, and it's not nearly, I have to be honest with you, it's just not nearly as good. The movie works because of him. And honestly, that's not the first time that Disney or any other film company has made a movie where the villain actually makes the story 10 times better than it actually is. So for that, I say Tom and Huck, you know, you're awesome. <laughs> I, I tell you when I, I tell you when I was a kid, I thought it would be so cool. I never did it for fear of getting my butt spanked, but I thought it would have been so cool. Probably my favorite part of the movie was when Tom and Huck. Um, this is actually just not in the book, but when Tom and Huck put put the Mississippi mud, the mud of the Mississippi River, all over their bodies. <laughs> Just to you know, camouflage and disguise themselves. They're trying because they're trying to get the map from Injun Joe's pocket, and it's <laughs> it's it's great. It's it's awesome. It's just stuff that you know, stuff like that. You know, kids being kids. Every kid dreams of you know doing something crazy and fun like that, going on a treasure hunt. So, recommend you checking it out. It is available on Disney Plus. Good family viewing. All right. So the next movie on my list is a lot more well known than the last movie I just talked about. But that would be, you guessed it, the 1996 film released by Warner Brothers, live action animated, Space Jam. And in fact, I don't know how many sports fans I actually have watching this, but on the recent episodes of The Last Dance, which were this past Sunday, they actually briefly discussed the filming of Space Jam that Michael Jordan took part of. In 95, 96, he was filming these movies kind of kind of right before, actually right before his second return to the NBA and before that second three-peat of the Bulls, Michael Jordan made his return, made the movie Space Jam. And I thought, and I, it was, you know, that was just kind of cool to see, you know, him and all the other, you know, all the big time NBA stars of that era, like Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, uh, Sean Bradley, Muggsy Bogues, um, just, you know, seeing those guys not only play basketball in the movie, but seeing those guys actually play basketball one-on-one on one in the pickup. You know, seeing all that archival footage was really cool because it's like, wow, that's the NBA of yesteryear. But honestly, this is a movie that has something for everyone. You know, if you're a basketball fan, and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty big sports fan myself, basketball is actually lower on my totem pole, but you know, I do like the sport. If you're a basketball fan, you know, you obviously got, you've got the Jordan factor and all these other big time stars in the NBA that are in it. But, you know, for the kids, they got the Looney Tunes. I mean, some of the greatest, most iconic characters of all time. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Roadrunner, Tasmanian Devil, Yosemite Sam, and the one and only, who I also say is a more family-friendly version of Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> Less sexualized for sure. But Lola Bunny. Mm, mm, mm. That's all I'm going to say about that. But but yes, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's got everything. And honestly, it's probably one of the most iconic soundtracks of the 90s is from that film. It gave us I Believe I Can Fly. It gave us Fly Like an Eagle. And it, among so many other hits, it made superstars of a lot of the people on that album, which personally, I'm not a fan of a few of the genres that are in there. But you can't argue it did make stars of a lot of the people that made the songs in there. It's just, it's definitely a flashback to what the mid to late 90s sounded like. I remember being a kid, you know, about two, three years old, 
I don't, you don't, obviously I, I said this in last week's podcast, you don't remember a whole lot before five, but if there's one thing I do remember or another thing that I do remember from before then was just going to different people's houses and cookouts and whatnot and hearing songs from Space Jam being played at these cookouts. You know, just, just good little flashback to what life was back then. But yeah, Space Jam was just, Space Jam was just another one of those movies that is a product of its time. It should not get a sequel. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to diss LeBron James. The guy is one heck of an NBA player. He is the, he is the man of this generation. He's the man. No, no doubt about it. But there should not be a sequel to this movie. This movie does not need to be remade. It does not need to be rebooted. It does not need to have a sequel. It was good for its time, and it's still good enough today. So, you know, there's that. I mean, come on. <laughs> the Monstars of then, you don't need the Monstars again today. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, the, everything, the soundtrack, the lines, the fact that they were actually able to get Bill Murray in this film, and, and also Wayne Knight from Jurassic Park, and who was also Newman and Seinfeld was in there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just so many, I, I don't even know where to start, but I mean, if people want further proof that Michael Jordan was not only the biggest basketball player in the world, but the biggest athlete of his time and perhaps of all time, look no further than that opening sequence where they're playing Space Jam theme song by Quad City DJs. I look no further than that. If you want proof to say Michael Jordan was the man and still is the man today. Aside from the last dance. So Space Jam, yeah, another another cherished favorite of my childhood. Kind of made me want to pick up a basketball, honestly. And I wouldn't be surprised if I wasn't the only person that grew up in the late nineties and early two thousands that watched that movie and was like, man, I want to play basketball. Just help the game grow. But so, yeah, next movie on the list is another classic from 1991. It is the movie hook and it stars Robin Williams and the, role of a grown-up Peter Pan. So basically the synopsis of this film is this. Captain James Hook, played to perfection by the one and only Dustin Hoffman, one of the finest pure actors of really any generation. I mean, that man, just just if you want to see how good of an actor that man is, watch him in Rain Man. That was a fantastic film. And honestly, he he put more of that good acting chops, you know, that theatrical stage presence that he has. He put it to good use in Hook, and boy, boy, did he deliver. But he's in it. Uh, Bob Hoskins, who is known for playing Eddie Valiant, and who framed Roger Rabbit, was Mr. Smee in here. Uh, Pre-Harry Potter, Maggie Smith played Granny Wendy in here. So yeah, before she was Professor McGonagall, she was in this, and... Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good cast. Phil Collins is also made a brief cameo in the film as one of the pirates, and Glenn Close was in this movie with a brief cameo as well. Um, but yeah, Hook is just one of those movies. I mean, when you're a kid, you know, there's certain things that 
about your childhood that you really love. I've mentioned them in the first two movies, you know, sports, basketball, especially my generation. I know this generation is a little bit different. Kids don't play outside as much. I remember growing up and, you know, we would play outside, you know, till, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock in the evening, especially around this time of year, summertime, weather's a lot nicer, regardless of where you live in the country, you have nice weather around this time. So you can enjoy it a little bit more, not as obligated to do homework and whatnot, but, you know, playing outside, playing sports and part of that outside experience, no doubt about it was, you know, pretending, you know, playing pretend and cowboys and Indians and pirates. I mean, you know, what kid didn't envision themselves as Peter Pan, you know, fighting against Captain Hook, you know, wanting to save his kids from Neverland or wanting to save Wendy, you know, from Neverland and from the clutches of the evil pirates and whatnot. You know, what kid didn't envision, you know, doing these kinds of things? You know, I think I think one of the things that Steven Spielberg was trying to get across, not just to kids, but to adults, is that it is okay, regardless of your age, it is okay, it is perfectly fine to still have you know, childlike instincts and childlike innocence in you to an extent. You know, for a kid, if you're a kid, you know, you know, be that, you know, embrace it, you know, have fun, play with action figures, you know, have an imagination, you know, play cowboys and Indians, play pirates, you know, you know, make sure you do your homework and whatnot, but, you know, don't forget to be a kid. If you're an adult, obviously you have more responsibilities. You have a job, you have a family to provide for, but please, please, please don't ever forget that you still, it is still perfectly okay for a Adults to have imagination. It is still perfectly okay for adults to have adventures and whatnot. Just because you reach a certain age and just because you reach a certain stage in life does not mean you have to turn into a soulless jerk. I think, <laughs> to put it bluntly, I believe I firmly believe that's what Steven Spielberg was going for in that. But now I'll say this: as much as I love Hook, and as much as a lot of other kids from my generation love that movie, I think the only reason why it would not work in it in this generation in 2020 with kids of this generation is because it's a long movie. The movie is close to two and a half hours long. Kids have very, very, very shorter short attention spans. I mean, kids have always had short attention spans, but man. I just, you know, with with all the technology, you know, smartphones and iPads and Kindles and everything that kids are inundated with, you know, I firmly believe that's kind of taken away from that. So the only the only reason why I would say that movie wouldn't work with kids of this generation is because of how long it is. If it was a little less, you know, if it's like maybe right at two hours or a little less, you know, I feel like kids would enjoy it more. Not to say that every kid, could, not a single kid in this generation, couldn't sit through it, but it is a longer film. It's, it's a it's a good film, though. I mean, for a quote unquote kids movie, an excellent score from John Williams. Good direction from Steven Spielberg. I personally believe is one of his top five films, best films he's ever directed. You know, with probably Schindler's List being number one, Jurassic Park number two. Perhaps on one episode, I'll rank my top favorite Steven Spielberg movies, and we'll discuss that. But in my opinion, Hook is in his top five. You know, and you know, I was literally just watching the movie months ago, and I was reminded of how 
oh, how amazing it was and how good it still holds up almost 30 years later. And I would be remiss if I didn't at least, if I didn't at least mention his name, but Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. I mean, come on, what kid didn't want to be Rufio at that age after watching that movie? I know I wanted to be just like him. And, you know, he was, I mean, he was probably the coolest character in the entire movie, in my opinion. So, you know, and kept kept you wanting to watch it over and over again. But yeah, Hook is Hook is just another one of those movies that, you know, I just really, really loved and just kind of it kind of helped fuel my obsession with pirates. And during my obsessed with pirates phase, Hook was one of those movies I watch over and over and over again. And this you gotta remember, this is long before Pirates of the Caribbean. So but yes. Moving on, next film that we're going to talk about. Yes, we're getting, we're getting, we're getting back to my favorite sport, and not only, not only we're going to be talking about a movie that's revolved around my favorite sport, which is baseball. I revealed in the last week. I kind of briefly broke away from the movie mold and just kind of declared my love for baseball, and I declared my love for the Chicago Cubs. I'm a lifelong Cubs fan. You know, talked about all that. This movie is about the Cubs. You guessed it. From 1993, it's directed by Daniel Stern, who's known as playing Marv in Home Alone. Rookie of the Year, starring the one and only Thomas N. Nicholas. Fortunately, shame he didn't do more. The kid was pretty. Kid was pretty talented actor, in my opinion. But you know, I know he went. I know he went on to do American Pie, but you know, he hasn't really done a whole lot with acting since. He's been more involved with his music career over anything. Um, Gary Busey, who was known for Lethal Weapon at this point, he's in the film as as the veteran pitcher. Um, so so basically this movie, you know, for those of you that haven't seen it, is about a 12-year-old named Henry who, like a lot of kids in America, especially at that point in time, you know, you're really obsessed with sports. You might be really into one sport for his case. It was baseball, huge fan of Chicago Cubs. And one day he breaks his arm by slipping on a baseball that one of his teammates teammates threw a ball at him to catch. He didn't see where he was going, so he slips, falls, breaks his arm, but somehow, some way, he's at Wrigley Field in the center field bleachers of all places in Wrigley Field for this to happen. It happens in the center field bleachers right below the outfield clock in center field. But he gets the ball, leans back, throws a frozen rope, from the bleachers to home plate, and automatically it's like, okay, we got to sign this kid. And all of a sudden, all the endorsements start coming in. And he's, before you know it, Henry's a bona fide star, you know, the likes of a Barry Bonds or a Ken Griffey Jr. or a Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, you know, kind of the along the lines of the big name heroes from that era. But man, this was, I mean, this was just one of those movies that kind of came out during a time where kids movies, especially kids movies revolving around sports, no matter whether it be baseball, basketball, football, or soccer, there were a lot of kids movies in the late 80s, early 90s that were revolved around sports. And I think a lot of that kind of stemmed from the old Bad News Bears film in 1976 with you know the late great Walter Matthau. That kind of gave birth, even though it was, it took a while, it was stagnant, but late 80s, early 90s, all of a sudden you were seeing films, the Mighty Ducks trilogy, Angels in the Outfield, 
uh, Big Green, Little Giants, this movie, uh, Sandlot, which is probably the most iconic of all of them. But, you know, there's probably not a single ball player in Major League Baseball today that hasn't seen Rookie of the Year. I would, most of them, since they were kids in the 90s, probably grew up loving the film, especially anybody that grew up in Chicago being a Cubs fan. You know, I'm a, I'm, I mean, that was just one thing. One of my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, there's so many good lines in the movie, you know, the whole funky butt loving. <laughs> yeah, such a such a fun scene. But um, you know, just seeing the shot of Henry with the World Series champions ring at the end of the film. I know I may be spoiling it for some, but come on. The movie has been out for 27 years. If you haven't seen it by now, you're probably not interested. So, anyways, deal with it. Anyways, you know, he, he's got he's got his hand in the sky and says World Series champs. And it's like, ah, one day, maybe one day the Cubs will win the World Series. And then finally, obviously, three and a half years ago, almost four this coming October, we broke our 108-year curse by beating the Indians in seven games. And oh, still one of the greatest nights of my sports life. But up until that World Series win, I mean the best I would ever get, some of the best Cubs baseball I ever got was watching Rookie of the Year because Cubs had some really bad seasons <laughs> in my lifetime. I mean, a couple of years before they won the World Series, they lost over 100 games. So this movie was kind of a redeeming factor for me. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, just honestly, one thing I love, the main thing I love about this movie, though, probably is Daniel Stern. Aside from his great direction, you know, the whole hot ice scene where he's like, you know, some fellas believe that ice is the way to go. I believe that heat is the way to go. But I found the secret. You know, he goes and he's like, hot ice, I heat up the ice cubes. It's the best of both worlds. And it's just, <laughs> I laugh hysterically at that. I mean, nutty pitching coach. It's great. It's great. I mean, it was, and it was good to see Daniel Stern in a different role other than what we'd seen him in in Home Alone. So there's Rookie of the Year. All right. So with the last movie that we're going to talk about today is one that was very popular with 80s kids. We're going to talk about The Goonies. Um, once again, going with the pirate theme. You know, this is one, I mean... Kids find a pirate map in their in a house, and it's like, okay, maybe a story of Oregon not only has treasure, but it actually has the treasure to save the whole block from having to remo- having to move. You know, think about it. Pirates, who would have thought that pirates' treasure could help a family not move out of their neighborhood? What an ingenious plan. And it was made by the same guy that actually would go on to direct uh, the Lost Boys and the Lethal Weapon movies, Richard Donner. But I mean, this is just one of another one of, in my opinion, this is one of the best movies. This is a top 10 80s flick for me. And it's essential 80s viewing if you call yourself a fan of the era and whatnot. But I mean, the fact that they not only took the pirate plot and revolved it around a family trying to save their neighborhood, but they used a mother and her two sons as real life pirates revolving around that i mean you know who wouldn't who wouldn't want to go on that i mean i remember just watching that thinking man what if what if my house what if my house had a pirate's map or treasure map in it what if there's buried treasure somewhere in this town what if there are actual real life pirates that are trying to go after it 
all the endless possibilities, all the endless questions were just running through my mind. And if you're five, six, seven, eight years old watching this, I'm sure you had them running through your mind as well. I mean, it's the Goonies, not to mention it probably has one of the more catchy theme songs for a film from that era. I mean, the 80s had a lot of great songs in, that were put in films. 80s was just a great time for music, but Cindy Lauper's Goonies are good enough. Yeah, I know there's a lot of you out there. Some of you might be groaning right now because I just put it back in your head by just mentioning it. Some of you may have perhaps never seen that great movie. Your childhoods are deprived if you didn't watch The Goonies. I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, the, ch the Truffle Shuffle from Chunk. Hey, you guys from Sloth. I mean, you know, you've got the Ruth, baby Ruth. Oh, such a fun character. Such a fun character. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Not <laughs> uh, so a lot of good times watching that movie. Um, you know, not much more can be said about that. I definitely think it holds up today because of the, you know, the adventure, you know, the, the suspense, the danger that's, you know, goes with going on a pirate adventure with your friends. You know, I, you know, I, I definitely think today's kids would enjoy it. It comes on TV a lot. So next time it's on, maybe if your kids haven't seen it, you know, you can kind of show it to them and kind of show them what life was like back then okay well that's all the time we have for our show this evening remember you can rate the podcast you can and subscribe wherever you go listen to your podcast and until next time for talking cinema with Christoph Hankerson this is Christoph saying have a good day enjoy the rest of your weekend and I will see you next week bye now <laughs>